Thanks for joining us, friends. If you're joining us online at Mound Westanka, Bush Lake, the chapel, just glad we can be together. If you're a guest, delighted that you're here. And I love um, that the kids are joining us in the services to read the parables at all of our sites. We have different kids that are reading. And we're doing that intentionally because, um, as Joe said, and the worship uh, host said in our different sites, is the reality is children um, represent something to us, for all of us. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, that through a child we come to learn who God is. And by hearing their voice, just the innocent draw that a child has for us. And so I wanna say blessings to all of the kids that are joining us in this whole series. Glad we can do this together. Now, I've got a personal question as we jump into today's um, talent parable. And uh, how many of you have been in a talent show? You sang a song, you danced, you twirled a baton or something. Can I see your hands at our different sites as well? Good number of you have been in a talent show. And I personally was in one, loved the talent show. I think they're very fun. Today's most popular television shows are talent shows. America's Got Talent, The Masked Singer, The Voice, AGT, you could go on and on. When I was in high school, it was the same. The most popular TV shows were talent shows. They were a little different then. The most popular show then was The Gong Show. And if, you have to be over 50 to know the, the Gong Show, but it, you know, the feature was Gene Gene, The Dancing Machine. You, you just fabulous, gotta watch this guy. And you know, their whole deal was, it was less about competition, it was really mostly about um, absurd acts that got so absurd and uncomfortable, you just waited for one of the three judges to get up and hit this big gong and end the performance a little bit early. And, uh, and then the winner of the show would get $536.12. It was a quirky show, but talent, the word talent is really interesting and how we use it. And I wanna take you to the root meaning of talent. Because talent comes from a Greek word, talanton. It's not a fitness bicycle, that's peloton. This is talanton, and it means balance, sum, or weight. And it can mean weight in terms of a specific unit of gold or dollars, as is in the parable that we're gonna see in a moment. But it's always reference to something even greater than that, and that is the whole, that is the sum weight, the sum balance, the whole of your life. Even when I was a young kid, I had this thought inside of my head, I want my life to count for something that lasts. And most of you had that same thought. And then I came to know who God is and realized that God created us for the purpose that our lives would count for something. And then I would get more acquainted with Jesus and his teachings in the New Testament and would be inspired by the practical, relevant nature. In fact, he teaches us how to invest our lives so that it counts for something. And the thrust of this parable is simply that. Um, how do you invest your life so that it counts for something? So Matthew 25, we find the parable of the talents. And Jesus in it teaches us seven principles of how to invest your life so that it counts. I know you're accustomed to a three-point message. Today's a seven-point message. You ready for this? <laughs> All seven, you're getting them, and they're good. I'll touch on them each briefly, a couple of them a little bit more extended, but how do you invest your life so it counts? It begins by understanding ownership, that everything I have belongs to God. Or maybe you could stop there and just say, everything that I am and have comes from God and belongs to God, therefore, I really own nothing. <laughs> it's all his. And that's what we find in the first verse here, 14. For it will be 
like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And so whose property is it? Is it the master's or the servant's? It's the yeah, it, when I put my hand like that, that's an interactive, and that's for all of you at all of our sites. Whose property is it? The master's. Let's just get to the reality. It's his. Belongs to him. Here's the point of it. God gives us some of his things, but they're his. And so we come into this understanding of ownership. Linda Ellis is a wonderful poet. She has a great little poem that gets to the heart of this. It's called Dash. And it speaks to the dash on a tombstone between the date of birth and the date of, of death. And this is her poem. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we lived and loved and how we spent our dash. So simple, so clear. Yes, we have cars, the house, and the cash. God has generously shared that with us. But what counts most is how we've lived and loved and how we spent our dash. And why does it matter? Because if I believe that it's mine, then I will make the decisions of my life according to my will, my way, my wants, and my wishes. But when I understand that God is the owner of everything, I will take into consideration with real seriousness his way, his will, his wants, and his wishes for my life. Do you think that changes the trajectory of all your decision-making? It does on every front of your life. So the first reflective question is, do you live your life in a way that you understand that God owns it all? How do you invest your life in a way that counts? It's not just through ownership, it's understanding allocation. Allocation is simply God has given me talents. This just rolls off my tongue with such casual ease, but could you just take in the awe? God has given me and you talents. God. I would expect that those talents aren't cheap little talents along the way. They're significant investments that God has given to us to invest into the life in which we live. And so to allocate simply means to distribute the talent or the resources to the purpose he intends. We continue on in verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now, you know he's coming back, but in this moment, he's gone away. Few words, but it says a lot. First of all, it tells us the master is generous. It's hard, even when you heard the um, translation from the message this morning from our kids, that's a paraphrased version used in terms of talents, dollars. But you read different commentaries and they have gold, they have silver, they have, it's really hard to find the equivalent. I'm teaching from the ESV version today, so they're using simply talents. But what is a talent then and how much does it equal in today's terms? So we don't know exactly, but one commentary I read, I thought landed it well, when he said it would be the amount of dollars that a worker, an average worker in Jesus' day would earn over 20 years of labor. Now that gives you some weight. So don't think of a talent as small. Think of it as big. And therefore, understand that God has oceanic wealth and he pours from that wealth into our buckets, into our lives, to the end that we might invest it for the purposes that he has. And so he's given one, five talents, I don't know, 20 years of labor earned. That's a very influential, wealthy person. And then two, labor, uh, two talents and then even one. You, you get the picture of where he's taking us. It's a great amount of wealth. And the application 
of the talent in the parable goes beyond the financial implication. I hope you, you're tuning into that. It goes to the whole, to the sum balance and the sum weight of your life so that we invest our lives into something that counts. And we find a reinforcement of Jesus' teaching in other places, like, for instance, when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So your treasure, your financial resources are certainly part of the talent that gets expressed, but it flows into the other aspects of your life, your abilities, your skills, your job, your children, even your heartache and your failures are talents to be used as investments for the purposes of God. It's it's a holistic call in terms of application. And I love especially this little phrase when he's giving the talents to each one according to his ability. I just, I'm freed up, I wanna sing and dance when I hear that. Because I'm only asked to invest out of the ability that he's given me, not my inability. Now you think about how we live our lives. Think about how we raise our children. In my family, uh, our family, Carrie and I, we have four children. And I would be a wiser parent today because of what I've learned then. (laughs) But you take what you got when you're going through it, but one of the things I'd be really mindful is, Don't expect a child to each be given five talents. Sometimes I think we treat each child as though they've been given five talents. But if you have one talent ability given by God and the expectation of mom and dad is you're a five-talent kid, where's that kid going to go? Feeling a lot of pressure. Feeling like you never measure up. We need to be wise to discern what it is that God has given us and nurture and cultivate that in their life and their journey. This is a picture that the amount differs Uh, And the ability differs from us, but there is no such thing as a no-talent person, that everybody's been given a talent. We find another parallel passage in Romans 12, 6. It's a spiritual gifts passage. It's saying that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, every Christ follower gets a supernatural spiritual gift that they get to invest for God's purposes. It's an amazing passage, but it serves, it says this, these words just strike me. It says, serve out of the measure of faith you've been given. That really strikes me. Because what is the measure of faith that is needed for anyone to come to salvation? It is faith the size of a mustard seed. So what does it mean to serve out of the measure of faith you've been given? Well, you've been saved, but then you've been given an ability of faith to appropriate the spiritual gift that God has given you. It identifies seven. If it's to serve, that's your spiritual gift, serve joyfully. If it's to teach, teach wisely. If it's to lead, lead diligently. If it's to encourage, encourage joyfully. You get the idea here. These are spiritual gifts that are given to us. And we don't have them all, but we've been given at least one. And I'm called to invest it according to the ability he's given, not my inability. I find that just really freeing. And there's more good news that comes from this as well. Let's go to the third quality. That is, how do you invest your life in a way that it counts? Well, it's accountability. God expects an ROI. An ROI is a marketplace term, return on investment. It's saying that the, the gain of the investment is more favorable than the cost when it first went in. But we know that this isn't simply a financial talent that's being addressed here. It's a whole life talent. So therefore, it's not just an ROI, it's an ROL. And an ROL, if you've been here any length of time, you know to be the rhythm of life. And the rhythm of life is simply a call for us to live our lives with open hands, gratefully receiving from God, and with open hands, we joyfully give it away. That's the rhythm of life. The whole of our life, God wants us 
to make better the world in which we live. And I love this refresher and this reminder to live in this given way. In fact, it makes us come back to this question about how we do come to accountability in that verse 19, which speaks, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. It's just saying that there will be a whole life audit of your life. And I think there's a whole life, um, a whole life audit of our church's life. And so, you know, therefore, in our very first year, 1995, we did a voluntary audit with a firm, and we brought the results of that and communicated that at our annual meeting. We've done that every year since our beginning because we want you to see that the investment that you make out of that which God has given to you is being invested into kingdom gain and glory, glory for God. We're accountable to that as a church. But then we come back to the whole life audit, and it kind of un unnerves us. Just a shot, doesn't it? Even to know that there's a whole life audit coming your way. Um, the reality that the master does return, Jesus returns, and we give that whole life audit, and it makes us think. But I want you to know the heart of God in this, that God does not um, give us this injunction about coming back. Um, to demotivate us. Um, he, he's doing it to motivate us. It's not to be debilitating for us. It is to free us up. That God, the maker of heaven and earth, and your maker gave you talents. Oh, you did? Thank you, God. Now something in me says, I want to use that for your good and your gain and for the betterment of other people. It's as, simply as, as, as simple as that. It's a motivator. It's not a debilitator for us in life and journey. In fact, this has been God's intent from the beginning, that he's wanted us to take the talents that we have and to improve and to make better the world in which we live, including the relationships. You go all the way back to Genesis, and you find this word. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That is, to take the raw elements of the earth that he's given us and to rearrange them and arrange them again and rearrange them to make better the highest benefit for humanity and for God's glory. We continue to do that over time to make better the world in which we live. Theologians call it the cultural mandate. Simply the idea that culture improves when people cultivate the resources that God gives according to his purposes. So therefore, those who are seeking to grow corn can do it more efficiently. They're learning how to do it more efficiently. We live in an amazing time where we can feed a global population of eight billion people, extraordinary. Or um, they learn, cultures learn how to make instruments and then how to play those instruments for the betterment of our joy and experiences together. Are you not glad for music and how it speaks to your life and shapes your life and how it gets redone for every generation? Or best of all, it reveals to us how we learn to love the way God loves you in more compelling and creative ways so that people will take notice. Oh, we live in a time that people need to know that God's love is there. And we're the investors. We're the channels by which God will seek to do that. It's the cultural mandate. So the reflection question is, am I accountable uh, with the talents God has given me according to the ability that he's given me? And then we go to the fourth, and the fourth quality or principle is utilization. Simply that it's wise to use what God gives me, but unwise to bury it. It's just saying, don't ignore and don't forget. Don't be passive, and certainly don't be casual about this God who gives us these talents. Let's pick up the narrative in the parable. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. 
And so he's called wise. He took the five talents, invested it, doubled it, 100% increase, he's called wise. And it continues with the two talents. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. He took the talent God gave and invested it. He too doubled it. We don't always see it doubling, but the examples are saying God can do amazing things when you take what he's given you and you invest it. But the parable is speaking with a poignant truth about the third guy who does nothing with it, who hides it, and we pick it up. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And the moral of the parable is really quite clear. Don't bury God's talents given to you. Don't hide um, the generosity of God that has marked your life. Some of you grow up in faith traditions that says your faith is a private matter that does not come from the word of God. In fact, it, we are called to be a people who show the light, the generosity of God wherever we are and to pick up that beautiful call to be light in a dark world. This is what he gives to us. And in fact, he doesn't stop there because he says, I give you something and then you do nothing with it. And it so impacts this guy, his life, that he's given a phrase. How do you think, by the way, the master responds to this servant, this guy who gives just one talent? Do you think he's happy about it? No, that's a good answer. It wasn't a bold answer, but it was a good answer. <laughs> This is what it says. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. I mean, I find myself at times when I read a portion of scripture like this, I just have to stop and I go, whoa. That's strong. Wouldn't you agree? You knew that I would reap and I have not sown where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. And then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, at least that much. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. And right away, boy, you can tell he is more than unhappy. He's upset. And he actually calls him a couple things that he's slothful, saying when we don't invest what God gives us, then he's saying we're, we're lazy. We're not mindful again. We're not mentally acknowledging that it's God's and we're just keeping it safe, playing it safe. Or wicked. <laughs> I know it's October and Halloween is here, so I think just a little explanation might be helpful because wicked here is not about dragons and witches. It's about a mental disregard for what is God's. It's a mental disregard for what is God's. So we make wicked of evil, and certainly it comes from evil because it pulls us away from God. It's just saying we're not interested in trusting God. But you can only please God with faith. Hebrews makes that really clear to us. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. And what is faith? Faith is not keeping it safe. It's not a comfortable life. He stirs us up. He puts us on our knees in prayer all the time. We need to trust God through the circumstances, experiences of life. I have one word definition of faith that's been helpful to me. Simplifying helps keep it present, and that is readiness. Faith is readiness. It's saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive what you have for me, and I'll do that gratefully, and I'm ready to joyfully give it away. It's a readiness of life. That's what he calls us into. And so I'll pull off here just for a moment and think about this a little bit with me because by now in the parable, you're starting to think about yourself and who are you. You're, you're starting to resonate with one of the characters in the parable probably. You're thinking, I'm a five-talent person. I'm a two-talent person or I'm a one-talent person. And, and that may be true. 
I think it's a good thing to assess. I would think that in light of where we are, both in Mound West Tonka and here, and even in Bush Lake um, and in the Bloomington region, that most of us are at least an inordinate a number of us by percentage are five talent people. And I've seen many of you through the years exercise wisdom in terms of how you receive and give. And God is honored in that. But there's a danger to being a five-talent person, not simply a one-talent person as is described in the parable because a five-talent person can quickly become arrogant and in their own way, maybe even subliminally, start to bury that which God has given. Because research seems to indicate, doesn't seem to, it does, that the more you have, the less you give in percentage. That's what research shows. If you talk to financial advisors, they'll tell you that when they're working with the highest wealth individuals, they are tighter with their resources because they don't feel like they'll have enough. What happens in the brain when we feel, when we have so much that it won't be enough? We start to bury. So there's a danger to that. And of course, we know the danger to the one talent, and probably a good number of us are one talent people that are gathered here too. But he's given us the ability with the one talent to invest it. And our risk is to think, I got one talent, you got two, you got five. And we start to do what? We compare ourselves to the five talent person and go, what would my talent do to make any difference at all? So then we play it safe and we keep it here. There's a real danger as we see in, in this story. And I think about our own journey, the widow's might. The little might, the little wealth that she had, she gave for God's purposes, and God would use it for kingdom gain. God loves it when we take the little we have and say, it's yours, and I give it to your purposes, to your honor and glory. And then we have this piece of the parable that's really interesting, that, that the servant with the one digs a hole. And we had discussion about it with some of our team this week, and I was struck by the conversation that we had, that it, the oceanic wealth of God means that the hole was probably not a little hole you threw a little talent in, it was a big hole. It took a lot of energy. Maybe it took more energy to bury the talent than to release the talent. Because one is done by physical effort and the other is accomplished by spiritual release. So you have the ability just to make yourself available and God, through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, will be sure that the release of that gift will have its intended impact. It's not about you and all your talent alone. It's infused with the supernatural presence of God. Isn't that remarkable? This parable just speaks to the depth uh, around the question, am I using or am I hiding what God gave to me? And then the fifth, because it's a seven-point sermon. Are you hanging in with me? Can we go into the fifth? because we're gonna run through all seven. And I, I got you at all of our sites. Let's, let's go to the, the next one. I love this. And that is motivation. That fear keeps me from developing my talent. Now you may go, well, fear doesn't keep me from developing my talent. Maybe complacency, I just don't have a sense of urgency. It might be comfort. Comfort is just one of the greatest challenges to developing talent, because we get, we've got so many options, we get swallowed up and forget to develop the talent that God has given to us. You know this little phrase that I have and have used here for many, many years if, if you've been around that procrastination is the assassination to motivation. I wonder if there's a precursor to this. Is fear or trepidation the acceleration to procrastination? Do we procrastinate because on the inside we're just afraid? of being seen for who we really are, for being exposed, for potentially failing, so we hold back along the way. 
And we find that fear shows up with self-doubt. It comes into verse 25. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. His fear caused him to move into that place. It affects how we invest what God gives to us. Whether it be finances, that's clearly a piece of what the parable is about, even though it's so much more. If you don't invest it, it will do nothing or worse, is what it's saying. And that makes sense. My grandmother, my father's mother, I don't tell a lot of stories about her. I should, because she was feisty, four foot 11, just the kind of woman every boy needs in her life. <laughs> just a, and I, I was her godson. She was my godmother. So I had favor in her eyes compared to all the other grandchildren. And I know that's not fair. And they've had my siblings' issues with that through the years. I think it's been terrific to have my <laughs> grandmother be my godparent. She did. She treated me with way too much favor. I loved her so much, though. And when she died, she didn't have a lot of means, but all of her wealth was found in cash underneath her mattress. She was a great depression child. She had a fear of institutions and what they would do with her money. And better to play it safe than take the risk. That's what we do. Or relationships. We can have good relationships and they fall apart. I just uh, heard a, a podcast about teenagers and friendships that they last an average of one year. They take a lot of investment to keep alive, and it's easier to have a revolving door of new friendships and the, the journey of front-end joy, but to see it grow into something deep, that just takes a lot. Or marriage. To keep a marriage alive and to have a sustainable marriage, then you're investing into that marriage in different seasons along the way. Or spiritual growth. To take the next step in your life, you have to invest yourself into growing spiritually. You don't just come to salvation and it's done. It's a daily journey to walk with Christ, to die to self, to open up and read his word, to converse with him in meaningful prayer, and to keep that spiritual life alive because without it, you can go three days and not be in God's word and those three days become three weeks and those three weeks become three months and all of a sudden you're dull and you've just fizzed out. The joy isn't present. But the joy is part of what he wants to be the mark of our faith and our journey. So I want to give you an invitation to consider if, if let, me, let me ask the question first. In, answer it in your head. Don't raise your hands or anything. But do you know your spiritual gift? And if so, can you say it in your head right now? Do you realize in God's economy, when you put your faith in Christ, that every person gets at least one spiritual gift? Church history, we have neglected the teaching of that until the last 50 or 60 years. And now we're bringing it back. There are about 27 of them. We have a class called DYG, Discover Your Gifts. It starts on October 18th. It's three sessions long. I'm just saying, it's worth investing the time to learn about all the spiritual gifts, to discern what yours is, because part of your purpose in life that God breathed into you was to use your spiritual gift. And I'll confess, I was 37 before I owned mine. I'm not proud of that, especially with three degrees in theology. I go, come on, Joel. But I always felt hesitant to own it. Once I owned it, I go, wow, did the world open up for me? Did I understand? I don't have to exercise all 27 spiritual gifts at the same level, but I need to steward and invest the primary one I have the best I possibly can to the honor of the Lord. If you don't know your spiritual gift, take the course. Jump into that, okay? And by the way, um, if you can't make it, you know, we'll, that's something we offer again and again, but we have hundreds of positions that are available to serve in our church. And I just encourage you to 
you know, fill out the engagement card. If you came with an engagement card and you go, I'd like to learn more how, and you're not quite sure where to step in, just say, I'm interested in serving, and we will reach out to you. We get those cards, we process them by Monday afternoon, and within 24 hours, you will hear from a team member because we could really benefit for your serving in that given way. So that's the call, understanding the motivation. And finally, just, just know that fear shows up with self-protection. I just wanted to briefly mention this verse that's in the parable. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. <laughs> so reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I knew you to be a hard man. Do you realize what he's done here? He's blamed the master for not investing. It's called the Adam and Eve complex. We blame others for our insufficiencies. And I think about this. His view of God kept him from investing. His view of God is that you're hard. And you have a view of God. Who shaped your view of God? Your early childhood perhaps shaped it. Maybe an experience you had in your life, an unmet expectation, a disappointment, a tragedy. And all of a sudden, God, who are you? And you lose track. And you no longer pursue the reality of who God is, but he reveals himself. And whether through hard times or good times, God is God and the standard of what is right concerning who God is is God and not your friends and not your own experiences. It's God. And that's revealed in the word of God. And the word of God tells us in the Psalms especially that his love is titanic and his generosity is oceanic and his loyalty is meteoric. I didn't make any of that up. That's all in the scriptures. That's the God I want to know. And that's the God that I serve, even when life is in the pits and the hardest of heart. And we all have those chapters, but God is still God. I'm not doing it without God. And I encourage you to not do it either without God. Is fear keeping you from investing your talent? Okay, I gotta wrap it up with just two more points. Understand, if you want to invest your life in a way that counts, there's a consequence. If I don't use it, I lose it. Let's go right to the verse here. And it says, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. And you read that and you go, that's not fair. The rich get richer, the talented get more talents. But it is fair. Because the giver of the talents is God. And if we don't want to receive them, he's going to give it to somebody else who does. And I think about that for us as the church. If we want to be a church that invests into the kingdom of God, he will pour out blessing upon blessing. But if we don't want to invest what he gives to us, he'll find another church that will. So let's be a church. Would you join me in this? Would you be a church that wants to invest God's talents into God's kingdom for God's glory and the greatest benefit of humanity? Say amen. amen. Thanks for that amen. I'm encouraged. I'm going to keep preaching then and uh, come up to my, my final point, and that is if you want to invest your, God, uh, your, your resources in a way that really truly matters, you want your life to count, then there's a reward. There are benefits when I use my talents. Three brief ones. Let me just put up the text. There's affirmation. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful, sir. I just can't think of a, thing, a time more important than that day when I get to encounter face-to-face -face our Lord. And he says, well done, Joel. You invested what I gave you. There's an affirmation. What if, it's a motivator for us, right? And then there's a, a promotion that you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. That's both a here, now reality, as still to come in the heavenly fulfillment. That is to say, you've been given one talent now with an ability to steward that. If you steward that well, he's going to pour more out of his oceanic wealth into your journey, the ability and more talents. That's what he's looking for. 
to that. But it also has implications for heaven, another message, that when you talk about rewards in heaven, one of them is increased responsibility, measured by faithfulness with what he gives you now. And then the third is celebration. Enter into the joy of your master. I just love this, into the joy of your master. I look forward to that. What is the joy of the master? To know that I am the beloved son or beloved daughter of the living God, who's lived with open hands, gratefully receiving from God all that he wants to give, believing he wants to give a lot, and with open hands, we give it away. That delights, that is the joy of the master. I'll close with this brief story. When my parents were divorced and we left Minneapolis, I was a 10-year-old boy, went to junior high and high school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, but I miss my dad so much. And we would make, um, I'd have the opportunity to be with him in the summer times. My uncle, John, my dad's brother, would pick me up. It was usually late at night, because my dad's restaurant was open until two in the morning. And we'd always go to the restaurant and not his house. And I could not wait to see my dad. And we'd come driving up north, 35W North. And in my mind, I can still look up and see the street lights on 35W North. I count them until we got to Lake Street. And then we'd make our way to the restaurant. We'd come into the restaurant, and I can this day smell the spices in my head. They're there. You have those kind of childhood memorized? It's just alive for me. I walk in, and my dad comes around the corner, and he sees me with that smile and opens his arms to welcome me. And I just run to my dad. I'm his. I'm his son. And the joy of my dad was to embrace his son. We get that with the Heavenly Father, a celebration that is before us. So can I just invite you to make the investment, to open your hands and gratefully receive all that God wants to give you and open your hands and invest it uh, into others. Joyfully give it as God would want you to make better the relationships in your life, the world in which we live, to his glory and to his gain. And that's the parable of the talents. Isn't that a great parable? I hope you've been instructed and learned. I have. I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll close together in prayer. So, Father, we thank you that you've given me, us, talents and abilities and gifts and skills and opportunities, successes and tragedies, failures and successes. And they're all talents to be used for your gain in glory. Even our hardest realities can bring blessing to others because of your goodness and grace. So we thank you that we've been given so much privilege. We know that with privilege comes responsibility. So help us to make lives count. Help us to not be like others who are living simply for today, but help us live for eternity, for the glory of seeing you and being with you, of the beauty of seeing the talents you've given change the world in which we live. And we will praise and sing and dance in the presence of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of our souls. Amen and amen. Thank you.